Welcome to Dads of the Kingdom, a podcast celebrating all things Disney with a family spin. I'm Terry. And I'm John. And we welcome you guys back to another episode of Dads of the Kingdom. We're excited to be here. We have lots to cover tonight. There's so much going on at Disney, uh, both land, world, seas, everywhere. John, there's so much going on. There is, and it's a good time of year to to be talking Disney because we have the summer coming up and 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 some of the summer holidays along with it. Absolutely. So this is we're going into prime Disney visiting season. Uh, people are out for summer break. Kids are out. Parents are taking kids. Um, of course, it's a million degrees in Florida, so it's the perfect time to visit. Yeah, it's too hot. Make sure you, you stay hydrated and uh, stay out of the sun. Make sure you go through those gift shops on your way to the next attraction. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, at some point, Disney is just going to build a giant bubble around the whole thing. Yeah, that would be great. It would save us from that 3 o'clock shower so that the parade is okay. Yeah, I, I take it. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, tonight, let's talk about, uh, let's do a quick rundown of what we're going to cover. For our main topic is, I've recently experienced Disneyland uh, for the first time, and then we went back a couple months later. So, having never gone before, it was interesting to kind of look at it and compare it to all the things I've experienced and what I know about World. Also, in the news tonight, a couple of big things. The end of wishes, we're going to get into that. This is kind of huge. A lot of people are are kind of had mixed feelings about it. Opening of Pandora's coming up, the new nighttime show. John will have a travel tip for you guys. Uh, Disney Around the Web, we have a few things we want to hit them on. Flower and Garden Festival, free dining, not so scary. Mickey's not so scary. Uh, Halloween party's coming up. Mickey's very merry Christmas party. Tickets for that will start coming up as we're rolling into that season. We're going to quickly touch upon a couple of the movies and things going around on the web, uh, both Bambi and Beauty and the Beast, and then some Star Wars stuff. And then our outro tonight, we're going to talk about highlighting some things from our next episode. Um, I personally enjoy listening to top five episodes. John, what do you feel about those kind of episodes? They're not my favorite. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love those because it gives a chance to, to list not only your top five, but those, uh, those close to contenders that you can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so our next top, our next main topic for our next podcast is going to be top five rides or attractions for people who really love Disney history. I'm really excited about that. One. But let's jump right into it tonight. John, let's talk about Disneyland. Yeah, I love it. it it's one of my favorite places, even just to sit and watch the crowds. Um, you, you really don't get that sense of nostalgia sometimes when you go to Walt Disney World in Florida. Um, and it's just because, you know, Walt really didn't have a chance to, to walk there. So, you know, when you're out at Disneyland, you got that history and heritage um, a little bit stronger uh, than you do anywhere else. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I definitely feel like land has more direct connection uh, to Walt. You, you can imagine him walking down Main Street. Well, you don't even have to imagine. There's still videos of it. Um, so they they have areas. They have his bench that he sat at that he liked to sit at. They have the light on in his apartment. Um, I, maybe you could say that land is, is Walt's park and, and world is Roy's park, if that's fair to say. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, Roy spent a lot of time picking up uh, the, the the process after after Walt passed. So um, you can see the differences not only in their styles but their personalities uh, as, as the parks grew. Yeah, absolutely. And so, John, let's talk about the size of land and how there are more things packed into that space. Obviously, because they were more limited on their space and still are than world is. Um, so John, what do you feel about the size of Disneyland? You know, if you just look at it from the standpoint of um, the comparison between Disneyland and Walt Disney World in Florida, um, it seems small. But if you look at the neighborhood around it, it's actually a pretty big place. And so much has uh, grown up around it that um, you get sucked in to uh, the magic and the fantasy there. Uh, not the cruise ships, uh, but, <laughs> but the, the, sense of, um, the sense of that magic and, and fantasy. Uh, you lose track that you're actually in a city. Um, and, and I think 
you know, while the square miles are a lot uh, smaller, it's a much it's a much cooler experience because you walk out and you're right on the streets of Anaheim, uh, right out of the park. You know, I think um, one of the things why we were staying there, we didn't stay on property, and it's the first time we've ever been to to a Disney and not been on property. So we were staying at a a, a good friend's na- neighborhood. Um, good neighbor hotel just right down the road short walk 10 minutes walk um, but I it, it took me out of the Disney experience walking to the parks um, just kind of seeing and being in Anaheim and then making that left turn into into the main Disney property there it it felt weird and both my wife and I both the kind of experience we're like this is, feels weird to us yeah, it, it does, especially when when you're in there. But as long as you don't make too many ventures out, yeah. <laughs> it's not too bad. But you know, just being able to walk to downtown Disney, um, or you know, you walk out of the gates at Disneyland and walk right across the the, the little concourse there, and you're in Disney's California Adventure. Yeah. Um, for me, it's kind of cool because you have to take so many buses or get in your car um, at Walt Disney World to go to any of the other parks. Um, it just makes it for a little bit better adventure for us sometimes. Yeah, you know, I, it was a nice change of pace having been to the world so many times in the, in the past few years. Um, to see it, I think it's a different perspective because it's usually the other way around, right? Most people experience land first and then world. Yeah. Um, because if they've grown up with Disney, then that was what's what, what was primarily available. Um, going backwards the other way, going from world to land, what struck me the most was the size and how everything there. Obviously, there's more attractions, more rides packed into that small space than at where at world. Everything is a bit more spread out and a bit more kind of compartmentalized in their spaces. Um, but that really stood out to me. The size of it really stood out to me. The flow kind of stood out to me as there felt like there was a, a couple of choking points, as it were. The pathways really kind of narrow as they go yeah. into certain areas. Um, and we didn't go at kind of high crowd times, but it still felt it felt a little claustrophobic. Yeah, you know, you know the funny thing that's actually part of the, the travel tip of the week here is is that both the Magic Kingdom in Florida and uh, Disneyland Park in, in California are laid out with this uh, hub and spoke uh, idea. And, you know, it's, you have a center and you, your lands are, are are like the spokes coming out of your wheel. Um, and they're supposed to be easier to get to and help with crowd control. But it seems like they did a little bit better job of that in Florida than they did in California because you have so many dead ends when you get into a land in California um, and you have to turn around and go back out. There's no outer wheel for you to walk around in. Yeah, you know, and we encountered that as we're making that trek back from past Indiana Jones into New Orleans Square. And then if you keep going back, you end up where um, the Bear Jamboree is. That is a dead end. Yes. So then you get out there, you have to kind of hike it all the way back. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, all things considering being someone who loves Disney history, I really appreciated that aspect of it. Um, and I, and having gone twice now in a short amount of time, the second time I think I appreciated it more. Uh, having experienced it and kind of knowing what to expect, um, it really stopped and try to appreciate the history that's there and, and the nostalgia of, of Disneyland. Um, but chasing after a two-year-old, you don't really get to kind of stop and reminisce on the things as much as you would like. No, you don't because they take off uh, as soon as you, you think you can look left, they take off right. Oh, geez. And our daughter only run, goes at one speed. She's at a full run 24-7, so she was all over the place. Nice. Eventually they slow down, but uh, it's always not a good thing. (laughs) You know, and some of the things that stood out to me comparing land to world is we're going to talk about this in in just a few minutes and more. 
uh, specifics, but the dining at Disneyland, we really enjoyed. I don't know. There's a couple of things I could probably equate that to, but the overall experience for all the restaurants that we went to, we enjoyed our dining experiences more at land than we have at world in the last few years. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a different experience out there. It's funny because you don't have to make dining reservations that far out there. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's not as many, uh, there's not a high demand out there as there is in, in Florida. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that land feels very much like a locals park. Yes, it definitely is. You don't want to go out there during uh, Labor Day or Memorial Day um, if you're on an extended vacation. It, it just it just seems like it's overcrowded then, but it's because yes. all the locals have off then. And you know, we <laughs> this last time we were down there uh, or over there, we were there for the first day that they had just brought back the electric light parade. Wow! So it was absolutely bananas in the park. I can imagine. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing about land, too, is when there's a special occasion like that, uh, the locals come to that and they come specifically for that. So it's easier for them to navigate the parks. They can pop in, pop out. Um, and, and I think that affects, obviously, it affects the, the crowds because especially the first night of, that the Electrolyte Parade is back at Disneyland, everybody was there and yeah. And it, it really did feel a little overwhelming. And so we we were going to stay to watch the parade, but it was so packed. It was so unbelievable. We just had to go do dinner and, and get away from the park for a little bit. Yeah, I tell you, that's why um, they do those overlays, you know, at uh, Haunted Mansion and uh, Jungle Cruise and, and a few other attractions out at Disneyland because it's a locals park. So, you know, they have to they have to have some variety uh, to lure the locals back out there during the holidays. Um, but, you know, it's it's a good experience, uh, but you do still have to hit it at the, at the right time. It's just like in Florida, you know, a lot of times you have you have a over overcrowded park because it's the summer and that that's when kids are off of school. That's when tourists from overseas come over. Um, you, you have the, uh, the very high volumes at the times that that's the only time you can go because your kids are in school. Right. Uh, right. Most of the other time of year. So, um, you mentioned, you mentioned about the, the dining, sorry. And I know we wanted to go back to that. Um, the, the variety of food there, I think, is a lot better than um, even just the Magic Kingdom or even Epcot at times in, in Florida. I would agree with that. Not only the variety that we had, but also the quality of the food and the quality of the service that we got while we were there. Um, we were really blown away. I mean, we've we're big. Obviously, we're big Disney fans. We, we travel to the world a lot. John, you live down there, so you get to go to the world a lot. I feel in the past few years, the, the quality of the food, I don't want to say is diminished, but you can feel where they're starting to cut corners a little bit. Yeah, it definitely feels like they've standardized a lot because of the dining plans. And, yes. you know, they're trying to get as much efficiency out of it as they can um, and look for some consistency. Now, they are changing so, some of the quick services up so that there is a little bit more healthy uh, meals and, and sure. uh, uh, variety. But, uh, you know, a lot of it's still the same. And you have to go to some of the lounges at the resorts or um, uh, some of the more smaller uh, venues uh, to get the variety that you would even out at Disneyland. Yeah, you know, and some of our favorite uh, sit-down restaurants at Disney World – um, ones that we always hit every time we go down the places like Narcusis or Chico's or Ohana. Um, lately, we don't feel as compelled to go back to those because those initial experiences we had at those restaurants, they haven't been duplicated in the times that we've gone recently. Yeah. And I think that's part of the standardization that they're doing um, there. Hopefully they change it up a little bit and, and model some of what they're doing out in California. Um they really have it together. It's interesting because um, one of the things that my wife likes going out to California for are the corn dogs. We ate lots of corn dogs while we were there. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's talk about the food for a second, John, since we're already on the topic. Some of the restaurants 
that, well, the two main ones that we experienced while we were out there were Cathay Circle and Napa Rose. Uh, Cathay Circle is in Disney's California Adventure. I think that's right. Yes. Yes. Okay. I want to make sure that's right. And then Napa Rose is in the Grand Californian Resort Hotel. Um, Cathay was absolutely phenomenal. Um, We ate there both times that we went out to land. And both times we were blown away with the food and the service and the atmosphere of Cathay Circle was really cool. Um, Yeah, the quality of the food, the variety that's on the menu, and even I feel at times that the the food at Disney World is a bit bland. I feel like they're trying to generalize those tastes for such a big audience that they're less willing to be risky with their spices or their flavoring. Uh, But I didn't get that at land. I feel like at land, they're still doing really bold flavors, really interesting spices, really interesting flavors uh, at their restaurants. Yeah, I think that's fair, especially with – um, you know, Carthay Circle and uh, Napa Rose, they definitely try to get um, something that appeals to more of that local crowd. And if they don't have um, some of those spices and s- some of the different tastes, they're not going to like it as much. Uh, whereas, you know, when we, in Florida, there's a lot of tourists that, that, that come down and it's not as a local scene um, as California. So, I think that that's maybe also what's kind of leaning them toward, you know, standardization in Florida. Yeah. You know, and, and that's one of the things we noticed on the menus at Disneyland is that uh, a lot of those, those higher tiered restaurants will have, it'll say where they got their produce and it's always local California farmers. Uh, The wine, they'll really highlight the local California wine. It was really interesting to see that they're very much, it looks like they're very much self-sustained and to get source those pro- source the produce and source their, their wine. It's true. Well, and you, you even see that, um, you know, in some of the, the things at downtown Disney, they're trying to bring in some of the local flavors there. And, um, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's got a much better f- uh, feel for, for that local culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Cathay Circle and Napa Rose were our, our two big ones that really blew us away. Another one that we've really enjoyed uh, was a quick service restaurant in the Grand California, Whitewater Snacks. Um, they had really great nachos, and I was really surprised by it. Uh, again, the service was great. Um, we went there kind of late one evening after going to downtown Disney. Um, really fun. It's really nice and tucked away in the Grand Californian. You're kind of at the very edge of the resort. Um, nice quiet spot. Uh, the ambiance is good. The, the decor is good. It had a good variety of food. Um, I, I, we really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great place. Yeah, I think we we went there once when we stayed at the Ground California, and um, we're impressed that it was just a snack place. We thought it was you know just going to be simple food, but but it was pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the last thing we'll, we'll end our food topic on this, but the churros. Um, Obviously, I left the corn dogs off here, but we can talk on that for a second. But the churros were really great. I know you can get churros at World. Um, there's a there's a really good churro cart in Animal Kingdom, uh, but the churros at Land are different. I think they're again they're just more flavorful, more of a really nice kind of quick snack experience. Yes, and they have them in a, a few different places uh, in both of those parks, both the Disneyland Park and uh, California Adventure. They do. Yeah, they're readily available if you want a churro. All you do is stick your nose in there and you can smell it and go hunt it down. That's um, right. At Downtown Disney, actually, they have a, I think it's the California Churro Cart, where yes. they have a variety of churros that you can get. Um, there was a strawberry flavor one. I mean, it was amazing. I should have ate all that sugar and all those carbohydrates, but it was fantastic. Yeah, well, you're walking around, you're burning it off anyway. Yeah, so yeah, you, you know. Might as well enjoy it. Yeah, my iWatch is telling me we walked three miles today, so I'm okay with eating a churro. Nice, nice. <laughs> so let's talk about the must-try experiences, John, at Disneyland. Um, some of the things that really stood out to me were Indiana Jones, Pirates of the Caribbean, 
the animation building at Disney's California Adventure in Mickey's Toontown. Have you have you spent any time on those rides or those attractions, John? Yes, yes. Uh, I can't argue with any of the ones that you mentioned. <laughs> those are all uh, uh, our favorites out there. Um, I think the other one that uh, that we really like, even though you know there's a version out in Florida, is the Haunted Mansion. There's just a little different feeling out there for some reason, um, and it's the same with Pirates. But you know, with Indiana Jones, that's a unique uh, attraction out in California. Um, but you know, some of those uh, nostalgic um, uh, attractions are, are are also part of that list for us. You know, uh, let, let's talk about Indiana Jones for a second. Some of the things that I I, I think it might be the best themed and best Disney ride I think I've ever been on. Yeah, no, it, the sad part is is that it took us a long time to go on that ride just because the line was always too long or, yes. or something else came up. And when we finally went on it, it's like, oh, why don't we have this in Florida? This is a great attraction. It is an unbelievable experience. I was not expecting it. Um, we were at Disneyland, obviously, my wife and I with our little girl, we wanted to do rider swap. Uh, yeah. We thought we could do that because we had fast passes. Apparently, not a lot of the rides at Disneyland uh, allow you to do rider swap. Indiana Jones is one of those. So I, we actually, my daughter and I actually had to wait kind of in that general area where Indiana Jones is. And my, water, my wife went and rode it, and then she came back and stayed with my daughter, and I went and rode it because you couldn't do rider swap. We both couldn't go through the queue together. Um, right. Which I found interesting because I feel like at World, they're they're really progressive and really kind of push that rider swap aspect so people can stay together and experience it together. Yeah. You know, I never f- uh, figured out why they um, don't allow that in many attractions out there. However, <laughs> the one thing I have noticed out there is that th- there's this uh, tendency for, for people to uh, have one or two people of their family oh, stand in yes. line. And then yes. the rest go off and do something else and then come yep. back when they're closer to the front. <laughs> it's funny you bring it up. We experienced that twice. Um, there was a couple that was maybe two or three people ahead of us in line uh, at Luigi's uh, Dancing Cars, Yeah, which was a really great attraction. My, my daughter absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, but it was the two of them. And then as we were getting about midway through the, the queue, Suddenly, there was ten other people that joined them in the queue. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's unique to California. Yeah, I was gonna say I was this. They wouldn't. You, that wouldn't fly at Disney World. No. Anyways, I digress. But Indiana Jones, if you go out there, guys, uh, the queue itself is is pretty unbelievable. Um, it's actually an extremely long queue. I was very surprised at how long that queue is. Um, but there's some interactive features along the way. Um, and the ride itself, again, I think it's probably the best Disney ride I, I've ever experienced. It is such a unique experience that when you look at what we have at World that is similar, which is the dinosaur ride at Animal Kingdom. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It, it pales in comparison. Yeah, when I think a big part of that is the theming. You know, they did such a good job of translating the story of the movie into yes. that attraction. You know, with dinosaur, it's its own story. So there's nothing to to remember to to reminisce about. It, it's its own entity. But the story is not as sound as as the Indiana Jones attraction. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you can walk into a room and ask how many people here have seen Indiana Jones. Ninety yeah. percent of the hands go up. You ask that same question about dinosaur, everybody gives you a blank stare. Right. <laughs> it wasn't a wasn't a very well received movie. No, yeah. Uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean is a unique experience too at land. Um, they both have recent have the new most recent versions. So there's the Johnny Depp Captain Jack character that pops up in both now. Yeah. Um, but Pirates at Land is still unique to land and still a very different experience. Yeah, I think I like the queue to that a lot better than uh, the one in Florida. Uh, the queue seems a little bit um, more authentic, uh, which is funny, but um, uh, it's 
it's what what I think pirates was meant to be, especially because of how they had to to build that underneath the the, the actual bark because they ran out of room. Right. So, so they had to figure out a way to have the queue, but go underground to uh, to to put all of the uh, uh, to put the entire attraction there. Yeah, and, and quick uh, as we're talking about bringing our families to Disney, experience Disney with our families. My wife and I, we both made the decision to take our daughter on it. We weren't sure how she would do on, on pirates. Um, she's a little over two years old now at the time she was about 26 months, 27 months old. Um, so we weren't sure about how she would feel about being a dark ride, being a water ride. Uh, Disneyland pirates has two drops. If you haven't experienced it before, where at world, you only have the single drop yep. and the two drops are actually, I, f- I think are much bigger drops yeah. Then at World. Um, but she absolutely loved it. She was a little hesitant at first at how dark it was. Um, and the the drops kind of kind of surprised her. But once we were actually in the, the pirates scene in the town, she loved it. Thought it was phenomenal. So if nice. you have so if you're hesitant parents about bringing your, your toddler, your two year old, your two and a half year old on it, I think it's OK if they're not terribly fair to the dark. Um, John, any thoughts on that? No, I would agree. You, you know, it's it's probably about the three year old mark that they start to get a little bit more worried about the dark rides because they can't see you. Yeah, but I think at that two year old age, they're still in that uh, this is cool phase. Yeah, you know, and our daughter loves water. She's a total water bug, so the whole idea of her being on a she thought the idea of being on a boat and the water was was fantastic. So that that kept her attention the most time. Nice, nice. Uh, something that I know World had it, and my wife and I never went back there when we traveled by ourselves before we had our daughter and that's Mickey's Toontown. Yes. Um, we never experienced it at world. So it was only at land that we got to see it. And that was through our daughter because we wanted to have her go through there and experience it. I have to say that it is such a cool space that I kind of feel like I missed out not experiencing while I was at world. Well, I can tell you haven't experienced both. You got the better end of the deal. <laughs> um, you know, the the one out at Disneyland, you know, has Roger Rabbit and um, uh, the, the Mickey uh, Donald ship. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, and um, just just a handful of other things, plus a nice little quick service area. So we didn't have that in Florida. It was it wasn't as at least I don't think so. It wasn't as cool. It just had the barnstormer. And, yeah. and some meet and greet tents. So it never felt like it was um, a land. It, it felt more like a, a temporary attraction, like it was actually meant to be, at least in yeah. Florida. I see. What was really cool and something a quick tidbit about Toontown is that it opens up an hour later than the actual park. So Disneyland opened at 8. You go in. Uh, Mickey's Toontown didn't open until 9. Now, what was really fun about this is we timed it both times while we were out there to be at the gate of Mickey's Toontown at 9 o'clock so we could go in and meet Mickey and meet the characters as soon as we got into that space. What was really fun is both times a character came down and opened the gates with the cast members. Nice. So the first time we went, it was Minnie. So Minnie came down with a cast member, opened the gate, big hoopla, and then she took the hands of some kids and then walked to her house with this tow of kids behind her. That's cool. And I thought, what a great experience if you're those kids. Here's Minnie Mouse coming down to greet you and then walking you to her house to hang out with you. Yeah, you, you, you don't get that often in uh, Walt Disney World. So that char- the, the character pre- presence out at Disneyland is is. It seems much more uh, geared to the smaller children and the families. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we want to talk about for our must-try experience is the character interactions. Johnny hit it right on the head because our character interactions and experiences at Disneyland, um, having only been there twice, far surpass our experiences we've had at World in the 10 years that we've been going. You know, sometimes I wonder if it's just the size of Disneyland that helps those characters get around a little bit more. You know, Mickey has a hard time in in Florida going around the 42 square miles, (laughs) but in in, uh, Disneyland, the the space is is a little closer for him to go back and forth for. 
You know, it was interesting. It was also not just interaction itself, but the, the length of the interactions that the characters would give for the children. Yeah. Um, all the, every character we met, I felt spent at least 50% more time with our daughter than any character she's ever met at world. Wow. Yeah. That's, so, uh, that's a good sign. Yeah. It, you know, it, it made it more memorable for us as a family to experience that through her. Um, I'll say we met Anna and Elsa five times. Wow. <laughs> the anim- the animation building is such a cool space in California Adventure. If you've never been there, uh, guys, it's a huge, there's huge uh, theater screens that wrap the whole interior of that space. Um, and they're playing clips from the movies. But each screen kind of shows a different aspect of that movie. So, for instance, one of the films that they showed was Dumbo. So on one of the main, the main giant screens, of course, would be the main Dumbo film playing but then on the subsequent smaller screens would have the other characters of Dumbo would have the set scenes it would have the the environments it was such a cool experience uh, I don't we don't have that in world uh, there's the animation studios that's in uh, Disney's Hollywood studios but it, it's a completely different kind of experience it is and, and I think that's a cool thing about the parks is that there's a lot of familiarity and similarity, but they make them just different enough so, so that you can go and enjoy both for different reasons. Yeah. And I was so blown away by the animation building because inside the animation building is the draw character experience like at Hollywood Studios. There's the Turtle Talk with Crush. There's the Beast Library, which is a really fun little thing that has that personality quiz that you can do in the animation studios at Hollywood Studios. Yeah. And then also there's obviously the Anna and Elsa meet and greet, which is at certain times will also feature Olaf and Sven. So we went five different times because the first time we went, my daughter was she loves Anna and Elsa. She loves Frozen. She loves the songs. She sings them all the time. First time she went, she didn't know what the building was. Uh, but the subsequent times we passed that building, she would always say, Anna and Elsa building. So let's, we had to go in there. Nice. That's why we had to go five times. It's still amazing that you went that many times. <laughs> we, we can't even get uh, fast passes to the frozen attraction in Florida. It's, it's, <laughs> it's always full or it's, it's a two-hour wait. You know, the first day that we went to California Adventure and we went to the animation building to meet Anna and Elsa, we didn't even have to wait in line. We wow. go to the end of the queue, walk up to the very front, and walk right in and saw them. Wow. So three of the times that we met Anna and Elsa was on that same day because we just went to the went around the queue, came right back, and went back in. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I wish they would do something like that in Florida somehow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so it was a really fun experience. Again, my daughter loves Anna and Elsa. She was blown away by them. Um, she would get so excited standing in line. She'd be singing the songs, kind of bouncing around. But as soon as she got in front of the characters, it was like a deer in headlights. <laughs> she would freeze. Yeah. Uh, she wouldn't talk. She wouldn't kind of emote in her face. Um, if they asked her a question, she would just kind of give them one word answers. Uh, being a toddler, her vocabulary isn't as big, but she she could communicate effectively when she wants to. But it was so funny to see her be in front of Anna and also become a deer in headlights. That's so cool. You'll have those memories for a very long time. We still remember where our kids were, you know, meeting the characters, especially Mickey and Minnie. And they did very similar things. You know, they would um, interact with them, but um, they would just look at them in awe. Like, wow, it's you. Yeah. 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 It was, it was so much fun. She had such a good time. Um, so that's land compared to world. I think obviously they're both great for their own specific reasons. Um, they're both unique enough that I think any Disney fan out there would get equal enjoyment going to both. Um, I don't know why it's taken my wife and I so long to experience land, especially having lived in California. Um, yeah, you have no excuse really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think they're both unique. I think they're both great. If you have the opportunity, I highly suggest going out and experiencing them themselves because they're they're different enough. The experience is different enough to justify going to both. 
Yeah, we didn't even talk about you know the attractions that are not even in um, yes. Walt Disney World or once were and and, and now aren't. So um, just go out and experience it. It's a it's a great um, uh, opportunity for you to see what, what Walt uh, did when um, he built his first park and how much it's changed from when uh, he had his original ideas. Yeah. Again, go for that nostalgic factor. Go for the unique experiences. Um, If I had to put it on a short list, the food, the service, the character interactions, the nostalgia, those things are enough to kind of drive your your out there. Not, Not to speak to the experiences that are specific to Disneyland. Yeah, that's great. John, let's move on to the news. The big news I think that most people are talking about right now is the end of Wishes. Yeah, a lot of people are sad that that's going away. It's been, uh, you know, pretty big um, firework display for a long time, and it's much more than that. Yeah, you know, and it's the only experience that my wife and I have ever had for the closing of of World. Um, what I what surprised me when looking into this when they announced the, the end of Wishes was that the start of Happily Ever After is only the third nighttime show since the park has opened. Well, it's it's pretty amazing considering, you know, it's been open for well longer than I care to admit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that blew me away. I didn't realize that. I thought, well, surely there had to been maybe five, maybe six different nighttime shows since the park has opened. But to only this be only their third one is is pretty astounding. Yeah, it's been pretty consistent since 1971. So it's yeah. it's it's always it's always amazing how they hold on to things, but uh, it changes them up but just a little bit to keep you coming back. Yeah, and you know, I think what really kind of spurned this change was the opening of Shanghai and their nighttime show that they do there. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to see it, obviously I haven't experienced it myself in person, but watched the kind of announcement videos and the the videos that the Disney parks blog will put on YouTube. It is such a cool nighttime show that I think that kind of pushed them over the edge in in thinking that, Hey, let's bring some of this technology. Let's bring some of this experience to world and and let's give them a new show. Yeah. It seems like they're trying to use that projection mapping technology to really immerse the guests in that, that experience. Absolutely. So the new show that's replacing Wishes is Happily Ever After. Um, it's going to rely more on what John just said, that kind of nighttime, the, the projection onto the castle to tell the story more so than the fireworks, um, which is interesting to me because I, I think that the nighttime show without as many fireworks is going to have this ripple effect on the dining experiences around uh, Magic Kingdom. My wife and I were talking about this. You know, there's the the DVC Lounge at uh, Bay Lake Towers. Well, a lot of people go there at certain at, at night to watch the Wishes fireworks. People would plan their Ohana reservations around the Wishes fireworks. Yes. I, I wonder how this new show is going to affect those reservations or or those those places. Well, having are currently living uh, very close to the Magic Kingdom. I can tell you they're not eliminating the fireworks altogether. <laughs> um, they've done some testing um, late at night uh, on some some different sequences and shows. So I'm sure it'll have an a- effect on you know where people go to to see the the events. But uh, um, they'll still have some that that you can see from those locations. Yeah, you know I'm. If this is kind of where Disney World is right now. Obviously, it's that still slow march of progress with so much change going on. You have to keep reinventing. You have to offer those new experiences um, just to keep people coming back. Uh, you know, it, it's the thing is like we don't you're kind of torn as a Disney fan. You want to hold on to that nostalgia that, that those first things that brought you to the park. But at the same time, if you've gone you know, as many times as you have, John, or I have, or a lot of our listeners have, you need something new to kind of keep keep you coming back. Yeah, you do. You do it, or you know, even just to stick around until um, the the nighttime parade or fireworks. 
um, because you know that's that's where you know they also sell more merchandise and you have the opportunity to go in a few more attractions as well. Yeah, uh, John, this is a note that you made. They're going to be li- live streaming wishes on tomorrow night. Yes, on uh, May twelfth. So hopefully. Uh, we'll get this podcast out in time. <laughs> uh, that is going to be cool. Is that is that just you think that's a kind of, hey, this is a farewell kind of hurrah. We want to make sure even if you can't come to the world at this time, we want you to experience it. It, it seems like it. It was it was uh, part of the Disney Parks blog, and you know, they're they're really excited about uh, the the new changes coming up. But they also want to make sure that um, that 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 you see it uh, before you experience it, because you know, as you said, um, they uh, they may not have the same opportunities uh, to see some of the uh, the. The visuals on the castle, if you're not in the park, uh, yes. with the streaming, they're, they're kind of giving you that advantage now. Awesome. So, Happily Ever ever, happily ever After officially replaces Wishes on October 9th. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not right. It's May 12th. <laughs> May 12th. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at the wrong day. Um, Wishes debuted October 9th, 2003. Yeah. That's a great run for... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a solid run there. The other big news, John, obviously, is Pandora, the world of Avatar. Uh, it opens up May 27th, so a little bit, a uh, couple weeks away from the official opening. I know right now they're in a pre-opening kind of press event, letting people walk through that uh, that new addition to Animal Kingdom. Uh, John, have you seen any of the videos? Have you watched any of that, looked at the footage of that stuff? Yeah, we've actually been in the park when... They've taken down some of the uh, taller um, barriers, so we, we've gotten to see a little bit of that. We know some some people have been either in a cast preview or annual pass or DVC uh, preview. We're supposed to be going sometime here in May, um, so I'm hoping that uh, that stands and nothing else comes up to kind of um, stop us from seeing it. John, let's talk about Pandora for a minute. Uh, if you're a fan of the movie or not, are you excited about Pandora? You know, I think if it opened five, ten years ago, um, or even five years ago, uh, it would have been a little bit more exciting. Um, I think I'm just excited to see what they do with um, the nighttime portion or the um, the, the the lights uh, within um, the environment at Pandora at Animal Kingdom. Um, than I am about the concept of Pandora. Yeah, I'm right on board with you on that. I think the bioluminescence they're going to try to integrate into that kind of the foliage there at, in Pandora. Um, not just Pandora itself, but the, a lot of this is spilling out to Animal Kingdom as a whole. Um, the new Rivers of Light show, the new Nighttime Awakening of the Tree in Animal Kingdom. It, obviously, Animal Kingdom is trying to attract more people to extend their time at Animal Kingdom into the nighttime because um, you know this is a phrase that you hear a lot of people say when they go into Animal Kingdom well it's only a half day park um, I don't I never really agreed with that I, my wife and I personally enjoy Animal Kingdom a great deal it's number two in our kind of top Disney wow. worlds that's, you that's know, pretty far up there, yeah. yeah it's Magic Kingdom first then Animal Kingdom number two so we always loved Animal Kingdom in we were always okay with not getting to stay past 6 p.m. Right. Uh, but now with these extra magic hours, the extended opening, some of these times into Animal Kingdom are going to be, I think I saw as late as 11 p.m. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing considering I know how many studies they did before um, where they wanted the animals to, to have their regular sleep and, and um, um, activity cycles. Uh, so it'll it'll be interesting to see what they keep open, how long, and um, you know what they close down uh, after after you know, sundown. You know, and when as as cool as I think that nighttime lighting of the tree, the awakening of the tree looks, I, I wonder about those animals that are immediately encircled the tree of life. You know, there's the kangaroos there. There's some of the I think there's a couple of swans and some of those attractions. I think there's 
a vultures attraction there. Not attraction, but an experience. Yeah. Um, and I know in, in some of the other portions where the animals are, they're they're not necessarily have a separate sleeping space. If that if that makes sense. Yep. They're kind of where they are is where they are all the time. So, you know, I, I'm sure Disney did their due diligence to try to understand how it affect the animals. Um, Cause I feel like the animals are one of the major aspects of obviously animal kingdom. So I hope it doesn't negatively impact them. Yeah, I don't think so. It, it, Disney's really good at making sure that not only do they uh, maintain certain standards, but they exceed the expectations yes. for, for any experience for guests or, or the animals uh, that, that are in the, the, the area. Absolutely. So there's two new attractions coming to Pandora. There's the Flight of Passage. You soar on the back of a banshee during this thrill ride. Uh, There's a height requirement. And then there's the Navi River Journey, which is a family-friendly, gentle boat ride. Um, John, thoughts on those two rides? Yeah, I think the the Flight of Passage is, is supposed to be pretty cool. Looking forward to doing that. Um, and it, I think the the Navi River journey um, is really is really designed around one family. It's not as big as a boat as as pirates or, or, or any other water based attraction. So um, that actually would be pretty cool if that's true. That that would be cool. That would be an interesting experience to kind of if it's a bit more intimate while you're going through that that ride yeah. and it's just kind of you and your family going through this experience and not necessarily you and your family and five other families. Right. right. Um, Especially cramped I mean, in the, the little space that you get when you have oh a family gosh, of four yeah. and they put you all in one row. row. <laughs> Don't get me started. How many times I've banged my knees on Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> trying to get out of those boats. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm interested in what, what, what they're going to do with Pandora, what this is going to mean long-term for animal kingdom. Um, I think this is going to be a really cool experience at night with, again, with all those lights and the bioluminescence and the grasses and the the plants. I think it's going to be a cool experience. Absolutely. Um, Let's move on, John, to our travel tip. We got a, we got a couple this week. I kind of hinted at it when we were talking about um, the hub and spoke idea. You know, a lot of times, especially when you go to Walt Disney world, your tendency is to, to, to go in and go to the right. Well, a recommendation is to be, you know, go to the left and start in Adventureland. Uh, and you know, especially when you get in in the morning, a lot of the crowds are a little bit less because, you know, people tend to go to the right when they go into that park. So um, take advantage of the fact that there's this wheel uh, at Walt Disney World so you can get around the whole park um, without being lost in the land. I find that a really interesting phenomenon, John, because you're, you're totally right. Um, I, I know I have a habit of doing this when we go to the world is I always want to go counterclockwise, right? Yeah. I want to go to the right and kind of work my way around. But the cues, I've noticed this a lot, at pirates, especially when it's a bit busier, the left cue is always faster. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I think that, you know, it's, it's a good thing to try. And, you know, if it doesn't work for that day, well... You know, try another strategy, but you know there are a lot of times that uh, there's some slower times in certain parts of the park because people are still getting back there, or um, it's just you know, not the attraction that people want to start their uh, their day at at the Magic Kingdom. So um, the second one is is um, navigating those extra magic hours. Take advantage of them, especially if you're staying on property. Um, they're there for a reason. And I tell you, the crowds are a lot less during those extra magic hours than um, they are otherwise. Yeah, you know, I have two thoughts about extra magic hours. Generally speaking, from our experience in the past few years that we've gone, when a park has extra magic hours, that the crowd count during that time tends to be higher. Um. But if you're – so the way we plan our trips now is that if we see Magic Kingdom as having extra hour, extra magic hours, we tend to not go to that park and go to a different park. I, I think the, the thinking behind this for us, and we could be totally off, is that 
if there's more, if there's longer hours in the day, people want to go to that park because if they're not regular visitors, they have all that extra time to try to jam in everything they want to experience in that park, right? Yeah, it's in, it's interesting because there's not enough people taking advantage of those magic hours at, at times, and those those really are the downtimes. So, it, you know, part of the strategy that we usually employ is avoid those parks during the day, and then hit them at toward the magic extra extra magic hour time. Because extra magic hours time, guys, for those who aren't familiar with them, if you're kind of new to Disney and to the to the experiences of Disney and going, extra magic hours are for resort guests only. Uh, it's not for people who are staying off property. Um, it's not for locals uh, to Florida. It's only those who are staying on Disney resorts on property who get to take advantage of those extra magic hours. Yeah, and they, they can happen in the morning or at night. Our preference is at night just because we like to, to sleep in, especially when we're on vacation. So uh-huh. um, we take advantage more of the nighttime than we do during the day. I'm sorry, uh, the morning hours. I wish that were the case for us, but our daughter, as soon as she sees daylight, <laughs> she's up and running and ready to go. So we always end up hitting extra magic hours in the morning. Um, we're, we're those people who are standing at the gate, beating on the door, at 7 a.m. and we're <laughs> we're up and at it. I think it's um, been a long time since we hit rope drop. Rope drop. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> interesting enough, we have never experienced rope drop. Wow. Yeah. Well, you still there that early and you can't make it. That's not. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I, I don't know what's going on. But and even now, this makes me stop and think for a second. Even it, as much of a Disney veteran as I like to think I am having gone as much as we have, there are still tons of things we haven't experienced that, that really get us excited about going back to the park. So John, let's talk about our Disney around the web. What were your couple of things that you want to talk about tonight? Yeah. If, uh, if you haven't been down to see the flower and garden, uh, festival at Epcot, uh, that's coming to an end at the end of May here. So, you know, if you, you haven't planned your trip, it's a it's a great thing to experience. You know, we, we go to that and then food and wine in the fall. Uh, but, you know, you don't get to see the the same flowers or the, or the plants uh, that, that you do during the, the flower and garden. Yeah. And, you know, flower and garden has actually started to turn into a mini food and wine festival. Yeah. They have oh. a, quite a few different booths that uh, that are pretty cool down here. Yeah, that used to not be the case. It used to be very much more focused on, on on the topiaries, on the experiences that they set up specifically for Flower Garden. But now they kind of set up all these mini food and wine booths. It's it's really become a really cool thing. Yeah, we we've snacked around the world a couple of times since that has opened this year. <laughs> uh, never going to complain about more food at Disney World. So that's right. Great. <laughs> uh, John, you want to talk about free dining? Yeah, you know, speaking of food. The free dining was offered uh, in, the, in the fall here. Um, but I tell you, the only thing that's left is um, some availability in, at the end of August. It looks like the, um, the end of September, early October, when uh, fall breaks usually happen, they've been booked out uh, for quite a while. I know my, my wife is, is a travel agent, um, and she got on the phones right when they opened up, and they booked up pretty quickly. Um, but I tell you, one of the tips that, that, that we share with even anyone that uh, my wife books is, you know, those free dining discounts are not always the best discounts. Yes. So, you know, room discounts that, that they offer actually can be less expensive if, if you get a dining plan even with it, just because they discount those rooms a little bit more uh, than the value you get with free dining. Absolutely. You know, it, and it's interesting you brought that up, John, because I think about this all the time. Being DVC members, both of you, both you and I are DVC members. So yes. um, our, our point costs generally are fixed and have been since when you buy into your initial contract. But I remember the first time we went to Animal Kingdom, uh, we paid two ninety eight for a Savannah View room. That same room now at Jumbo Lodge is $700, $800, depending on the season. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So you really have to think about and look at that, really evaluate that. Because I know you, you see free dining, you're like, wow, we're going to eat a lot of food, my, my family and I. It, so that's totally the way to go. But if Disney at the same time is offering 25 30% off the rack rate of their room, 
that is a significant amount of money that could a lot of times, like you mentioned, outweigh free dining. Yeah, and you'll, you'll definitely make it up even if you, you, you go to most of the sit-down restaurants um, while you're there. Because uh, yeah, a lot of times too, what you don't realize is the free dining has has very kind of strict kind of rules and policies for which uh, dining experiences you can have and the number of what you get for those dining experiences. And they do limit the number of rooms or uh, packages that they offer with that free dining. So you know, it's tough to get into. You, you go, go when you you would like to go um, and and find the best deal. Um, it's not always about getting something free. It's about getting something that's within your budget. Absolutely. John, a couple other ones you want to talk about. is not so scary and Mickey's Christmas party. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if I'm excited about it or disappointed. <laughs> um, both of them are starting super early this year. You know, they not so really scary. are. Yeah. Not so scary starts in August. Wow. Yeah, that's right. August. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I feel like in times past, there was a, a, a pretty significant gap in between the two. Yeah. Um, but now I feel like, man, they're really butting up right against each other. Yeah, they're a week apart or so. Um, eight days, I guess, to be exact. The last Not So Scary ends November 1st. And the first uh, Very Merry uh, kicks off on November 9th. Wow, that's so, a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, there, there are quite a few more dates uh, for, for both. Um, but... You know, there's <laughs> there. Hopefully, uh, they'll be less crowded than than they have in years past. You know, the the cost for the the not so scaries uh, start at sixty nine dollars for for children, seventy four dollars for adults, um, and very merry, which I'm a little bit surprised at. Um, for adults, the the tickets eighty nine dollars, and children are eighty four dollars. Uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely an, a steady increase over years past. It is, and you know, I we've gone to the very merry a few times, and um, while while it's cool as far as what you get and what's open, not everything is open at the Magic Kingdom. Um, I think we would prefer to go to not so scary because you do get you know the trick or treating aspect included with it, and uh, yes, much different parade. Yeah, and in not so scary too, guys is they also roll out some of the lesser. I shouldn't say lesser known characters, but characters you don't necessarily get to see on a regular basis. So, I, you know, the last time we went, you know, we saw Scrooge McDuck. We saw, uh, oh my gosh, my mind just went blank from uh, DuckTales, the pilot. Yeah, uh, Crash. Uh, oh, oh, no. Uh, I can't believe we need to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, someone, someone listening is yelling the name at us right now. Yeah, it probably. Launchpad. Launchpad. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yes. Um, so I'm not so scary. Crash. <laughs> <laughs> he did that a lot. So that's right. Uh, not so scary is interesting because you get to again interact and meet some characters you don't normally get to meet with, and then plus the kids that go do get to trick or treat. Yeah, I tell you a little secret for the very merry uh, Christmas party is that if you really want to see the castle uh, with with ice around it or just the the crystal um, that, that they that they show during that party, stick around right before the park closes. The castle kind of changes and morphs into that, um, so you can get that experience without paying the additional eighty to or eighty nine to eighty four dollars. Yeah, that's that's a great tip, John, because. I think it's starting to get into that price threshold where that's really going to start affecting people's desire or ability to attend the party. Yeah. Um, especially for larger families, man, you know, right now it's just my wife and our daughter, John, you have two girls, but if you had a, a larger family, I mean, you'd really have to evaluate the worth of what do we get from this experience? Well, and, and, you know, you know, our kids are past the three to nine age. So, you know, family of four, it's close to 400 bucks just to go to yeah. the very Merry Christmas party. That's yeah. that we already have annual passes and, and whatnot. So it's a tough call to, to, to want to go to that and spend as much money as we would to go uh, to another park for an entire day. Absolutely. So let's, let's, let's give this for a thought for a second, John. If you were talking uh, like our listeners who have never gone to either of them, 
do you still think they're worth the experience of going at least once? I think I at least go to the not so scary at least once. And then if there's anything special uh, during the very merry, um, it still might be worth it. Um, the only thing really cool, I know if you have younger, younger children, um, the snow on Main Street yes. and just watching the kids uh, see that um, in the middle of Florida is, <laughs> is just, a, just a cool thing and you can't really replace that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I would still suggest to people who have never experienced either that they're still worth experiencing at least once. I don't know if it's especially Merry Christmas party now that those prizes are starting to creep up a little bit. If it's a repeatable experience, if it's something you have to do every if you happen to travel there during the holidays, during the Christmas holidays. Um, Not so scary. I think the parade is really cool. Um, the headless horseman who, who runs down yes. Main Street. I think that's a really neat experience. The Christmas party has its own uh, parade, but you can also see that parade outside of the Christmas party itself. It's true. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, obviously, if you have the means, I, I say go do them at least once. I agree. All right, let's move on, John. Disney Download. There's a couple of movies coming out that were. Uh, One's a classic, one's really a throwback to classic Disney animation. And then the other one is the complete opposite. It's a brand new, it's a reimagining of kind of the the reinvention of Disney animation in the 90s. Bambi is coming out on digital, Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, and then Beauty and the Beast also is coming out soon. John, are you a fan of both movies? What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, absolutely. The the challenging part for us is we have Bambi in so many different versions. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to have to justify by the new one, but I'm pretty sure we're going to end up doing it. <laughs> you know, every time a new kind of digital media or, or media in general comes out with a new face. So, man, I remember buying Laserdisc. Yes. <laughs> and going from Laserdisc to, to VHS to DVD to Blu-ray. And now I buy all of our movies strictly digital. I don't even buy physical copies anymore. Yeah, yeah. We end up buying the the combo packs that has the Blu-ray or 3D Blu-ray and DVD and digital version. It's usually the best deal. Um, the, the funny thing is that they're usually the cheapest. Yeah, you know, for for us in the way we travel, the way we watch our movies, you know, we have an Apple TV, we have our phones, we have our iPads. If we don't have a digital version of it, I'm not going to buy it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's a lot more difficult to carry the, the disc with you, especially if you're going on a plane. Uh, you want the iPad, you want the iPhone, you don't want the, the, the old uh, portable DVD players. Those batteries yeah. don't last very long. Absolutely. Um, Bambi is coming out May 23rd. Uh, obviously, that classic Disney animation. And then Beauty and the Beast comes out June 2nd. Both of those are on uh, digital releases. Uh, John, you pointed out we just had May the 4th a couple days ago. Obviously, that's a big Star Wars time, big Star Wars reference. You pointed out some Star Wars downloads and movie releases. Yeah, you know, watch out for, for those special days for even the, the general holiday weekends. Um, a lot of times Apple or Google or even Microsoft will have, you know, things like Star Wars movies or the bundle on sale. Um it's a hefty price if you buy all the movies yet again yeah. um, uh, for for that whole bundle. Um, the six movies uh, they're they're usually about a hundred bucks, um, and even with um, uh, the, uh, the Disney movies anywhere, um, you have to decide which uh, which um, service you're going to purchase it from because the first movie. Um, is is only available on the service you purchase it from. So episode four, um, you only get the license to get it once. It's it's not on um, it's not on the other services. It's not part of that Disney Movies Anywhere um, mm-hmm. piece. So you know, choose and choose wisely. Yes. Uh, but those are usually on sale um, for a substantial discount on, on either major holidays or like even May the fourth. It was reduced by, I think, 17% on Microsoft, Apple, and Google. Wow. So, you're, it, it, you know, you're looking at um, you know, $69 or so as opposed to 99 
in some cases. You know, I think I've probably personally funded George Lucas's remodeling of one of his rooms with how many different versions of Star Wars I have bought. Yes. Everything from the original versions, the the reimagined versions with the additional CGI, and oh my gosh, I bought so many different copies of it. Yes, I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, that's really the bulk of our what we want to talk about tonight. I know it's been a little bit since we put out our podcast. Uh, John and I want to put these out a bit more frequently. I think that's our goal. Maybe a couple times a month we can get together and put these out. Uh, real life and real in our kind of responsibilities notwithstanding. John, let's talk about, let's leave our guys with our outro for this week and what we're going to talk about our next episode. Yeah, it's going to be those top five rides and attractions uh, for Disney fans of Disney history. You mentioned it at the beginning. I'm really excited about that because I'm a fan of Disney history itself. So um, in our next episode, I know we're going to go into a lot more deal about that. Absolutely. You know, John and I share this passion of Disney. I, I think we're, we share this camaraderie of this Disney history, the people behind it, the Imagineers, the people who helped put their fingerprint on, on Disneyland, on Disney World. Uh, and there's still a lot of those rising attractions there. So people who, who look back and think about those wonderful World of Color episodes with Walt and the rides he talked about, the experiences he talked about, that stuff is still out there in the parks, guys. You have to dig a little bit. You have to go off the beaten path a little bit, but they're still there. You still experience them today. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. That's all we have for tonight. Come back and join us again. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.